It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Another week, and I regret to inform you there's still no state budget. No state budget, but meetings still continue behind closed doors. The budget is being worked on. Subcommittee chairs started meeting this past Tuesday. General government, education, transportation, they are continuing to meet through today. We're recording this on Thursday morning. All information indicates that from the subcommittee level, which should conclude this week, everything else is going to be punted up to the big chairs starting next week. The speaker said yesterday that he expected to take that conference report to the governor next week. I don't know if they'll stay on that timeline or not, but that's looking like we have a couple weeks left and the new date is (laughs) mid-October. That's right. Interesting comments yesterday from Speaker Moore in which the budget that they present to Governor Cooper maybe next week is going to be a private document. They are Mm -hmm. not going to have their traditional press conference which is usually happens hours after they come up with a settlement between the Senate and House. Sounds like they're going to stay mum, send this over to Governor Cooper, and give him time to give them feedback on what he likes and what he dislikes. And the most important thing, what can he sign? And they're going to do that before they take those House and Senate floor votes. In a perfect world, the governor will sign off on that and they'll bring it to the House and the Senate and they'll pass with majorities and then a budget will be enacted. Meanwhile, we have lots of action over at the governor's mansion this past week. The governor signed a slew of bills, including the ABC omnibus bill that we talked about last week. And there was some vetoes. Yeah, on Friday afternoon or evening, I believe, the governor did veto two more bills, the speaker's riding bill that we've covered extensively, as well as the anti-critical race theory bill, which again, we have covered. And those were his ninth and 10 vetoes of this session. So since the beginning of 2021. So he's on pace, really, to to maybe hit those veto marks of the 2017-18 session and the 2019-2020 session, I would think. Yeah, in 2017-2018, he had 28 vetoes, and then 2019-2020, he had 25 vetoes. I'll note that none of those have been overridden since the governor took office, and This year, there was only one attempt to override a veto, and that failed in the Senate. It was about in-person learning for students. And if you recall, I think our second podcast covered when the speaker, the president pro, and the governor had a press conference, and they came to a deal on that instead of trying new legislation. That was the big fist bump, right, out on Bicentennial Square and gave us a lot of optimism about the session. And I would say for the most part, this session has been pretty civil between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Not to say that they haven't had their disagreements. They certainly have, as indicated by the vetoes. But 
I think the fist bump in those early days of session did set a good tone for this year. We're probably headed for another veto showdown. We saw a bill yesterday move off the House floor. Senate Bill 360 prohibit collusive settlements by the Attorney General. And, you know, yesterday you and I talked about this. I heard Representative Destin Hall's presentation of the bill, which he has on his Facebook page, and as usual, really does a good job of presenting a complicated bill in a way that everyone can understand. Then I hear the other side's debate. This is one of those things where it just feels like all gray area to me. Can you break it down exactly what the debate is? This arose out of the 2020 elections settlement. There was a lawsuit brought by some progressively aligned organizations. And Destin Hall said yesterday, Democratic Party aligned, even though they're 501c3s, I think. So they're not officially, but we see them as left-leaning. Sure. And so that was shortly after the legislature passed a 2020 elections bill. We've talked about that bill. Representative Allison Dahl was involved in that. Representative Zach Hawkins obviously Representative Destin Hall, they were all involved in that bill. So that was a bipartisan bill, and it was addressing the pandemic and what we were going to do about the 2020 election. So shortly thereafter, this lawsuit's filed. And what happened was that the Attorney General entered into a settlement agreement, and it changed when absentee ballots could be accepted. I think the legislation said it had to be, absentee ballots had to be sent in and received within three days of the election. And they changed that to nine days, I think, because of USPS, the delays, et cetera. And that was not what the legislation said. Mm-hmm. And so legislative leaders were upset about that, are upset about that, because both the speaker and the president pro tem intervened in that case. So they were named defendants. So let me get this right. At this point, we have this lawsuit. We have Attorney General Josh Stein defending the state. Senator Berger, Speaker Moore enter into the case. So the big criticism here from Speaker Moore and Senator Berger is they're in the case, and then Attorney General Stein and the parties bringing the case enter into a settlement of which they are they don't sign off on. So am I right? This bill says you've got to allow us to sign off on this agreement because we're a party to this case. That's exactly right. So if you were a regular person, you are a regular person mm-hmm. who is involved in a case and let's say this state offers you a plea deal or a settlement in a civil case, your attorney has to come to you and present that offer to you. And ultimately, they're not supposed to tell you, you have to take this or anything of that matter. It's your decision. You're the party. So you say yes or no to that, whether it's a deal or a settlement, yes or no to that. And then they go back to the other attorney and say, you know, my client is willing to accept this. And then you do the paperwork from there. It would make it seem more like a regular lawsuit. If you are defending uh, Attorney General Josh Stein and his action, what is your case? What are you saying on the flip side of this? This bill would limit 
what scope of power he has in doing his job. Okay, so this is in many ways beyond the issue itself of when we receive ballots. This bill is reigning in the executive branch, which seems to be a general theme of this session. Definitely. The legislature seems to be very frustrated by the executive branch's powers. I think the executive branch, which, by the way, is one of the weakest executive branches constitutionally, I am thinking that this bill, when it goes to the chief executive officer of the state, Governor Roy Cooper, who was attorney general for years, I imagine that he's going to look at this bill with a lot of skepticism. Yeah, the governor will certainly veto this bill. It passed along party lines in both chambers. And yeah, I would expect to see our 11th veto fairly shortly. One of the things I I try to do when I'm processing these bills is I, I like to jumble up kind of theoretically all the participants like, would this be an issue if it was a Republican attorney general who made the deal? That's uh, what I was just thinking about. If you had a attorney general Earl. <laughs> Senator Danny Britt as attorney general. Right. Are you just making the case for, <laughs> for that? Okay. That would be interesting. Okay. Attorney general Danny Britt. Okay. So, and there is a lawsuit by, let's say, some Second Amendment advocates. So that would be associated with the Republican Party Mm -hmm. and with right-leaning organizations. And he entered into a settlement, and Governor Cooper was named in it. Would the General Assembly respond? I mean, it's a... It's fun to play these kind of situations out. And it and when you do, it kind of helps figure out where the politics is. This has a lot to do with partisanship and who has the power, not necessarily the executive and the legislative. Although I will say this, there's always been tension. I will note that I think that our Constitution is set up in this way because the people elect both the House and the Senate every two years. And our other statewide elected officials are not on the ballot as often. And so it's supposed to be more of a check on those folks because we elect those people to represent us every two years. So yesterday, that bill was discussed on the House floor. It was really the only controversial thing. There were were a couple local bills, but there wasn't much else happening at the General Assembly. However, on the House floor, there was an announcement that there would be a discharge petition filed after the House session. That was on two separate bills. We were outside the House chamber as session was going on. Session adjourns. We need to hit a few legislators. And I noticed this long line coming out of the House principal clerk's office, all Democrats, And they were in line to file these discharge petitions. You and I spoke about this yesterday. We hear about discharge petitions. This is usually a tool used by the minority party to get legislation dislodged from a committee where a bill has been assigned. You've listened to the podcast. You know that chairs of committees have the authority to hear a bill that's in their committee. They also have the authority to not hear a bill. So this is a tool that the minority party can use to get the bill out. What exactly is the process, Sky? 
First, I'll note that it, it can be used by either party. Sure. And we have had discharge petitions this year by Republicans. When you look at one of these formal rules, you turn to the House rules or the Senate rules, whichever chamber you're in. This is in the House. So it is Rule 39 in the House rules. And what has to happen is that it has to be filed by one of the primary sponsors of the bill. So that's one. And it has to have been sitting in that committee for at least 10 days. Obviously, we're way past that. Before filing the petition with the clerk's office, that person has to make the announcement on the floor, give notice, if you will. And so that's why that happened during session. And then this wasn't filed until after session. And it has to have a fiscal note attached, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. It has to have that attached to the petition. And in order to be successful on that motion, you have to have 61 signatures. Okay, so a majority plus one. That's right. And then if you get to that 61 number, then the clerk places the motion on the calendar for the next day as a special order of business. Once you get to that house floor, it's the motion that's voted on. So even if you get 61 signatures, which in this case, they're not going to do that, there aren't enough Democrats to reach that threshold. But let's say it did happen. It comes to the House floor. It then The motion has to pass first. Mm -hmm. And so you're voting just on that motion to discharge the bill. Mm -hmm. And if it does pass, then it is officially discharged and it is brought up the next legislative day on the floor of the House. It's really a political maneuver, though, right? Sure. You said it was two bills? It was two bills. I think it was ERPO, the red flag bill for... Protective orders around... Yeah, for emergency protective orders for folks who may be a danger to themselves or others. Uh Um, And and as it pertains to guns, right? take their guns away. Yeah. And the other bill, I don't know, was another gun bill. So one of the legislators we saw in line yesterday was Representative Terry Brown. He was in line to sign the discharge petition. We sat down with him after that session to have a talk about North Carolina politics. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Terry Brown, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. To start us off, just tell us a little bit about your district. You're a freshman legislator. Tell us about what makes your district special. So I represent the fantastic people of House District 92, which is southwest Mecklenburg County. So uh, we are just south of Uptown Charlotte, and uh, we're about two blocks away from Bank of America Stadium, where the Panthers play at, going all the way down south. Uh, to the uh, South Carolina, North Carolina line. So we've got a really diverse district, and I think it really uh, encapsulates what makes Charlotte and North Carolina 
are really great. Uh, we've got uh, areas of that district that are predominantly African-American and are rooted with such history and community that are there. Uh, the Camp Green neighborhood, the uh, historic West Side area down there. And then going down south, you've got the airport, which is the economic engine of uh, Charlotte. And I would like to also say part of North Carolina as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got uh, the suburbs down there in Steel Creek, which are some of the fastest growing areas in our entire state. Uh, so you've got a really good mix of young families who are moving down there uh, to spread out a little bit. Um, it's, you know, I don't like to say any part of Charlotte is rural, but it's some of the last kind of rural, spacious areas that we've got down there in Charlotte. Um, I was actually talking to a judge who grew up in that area, and he says he remembers when uh, that area was nothing but horse pastures. Mm-hmm. So it's not horse pastures anymore, but uh, it's a great district with great people, and I know that some of my colleagues have been on and said they represent the coolest district <laughs> in our state. And, you know, I, you know, cool is subjective. It goes mm-hmm. in and out of style. You can be that, but I, I think with the great people we've got down there, the great small businesses, uh, I won't be subjective and say we've got the coolest district, which I think it's cool, but we have objectively the best district. Mm-hmm. In North Carolina, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw that down there. Yeah, right. just at Vernetta Alston next I time. I will. <laughs> at Zach Hawkins. No, no subtweets. It's just <laughs> <laughs> They're coming after you. So you're a practicing attorney in the district. Can you I talk am. a little bit about your, your practice? Yes, absolutely. So I do uh, business litigation. So I've been a litigator since I graduated from law school, not too far from here at Campbell. Um, and uh, it's really been giving me some flexibility to uh, engage in some passions. I've worked for uh, larger law firms my entire career. And uh, uh, while that, you know, lots of I work for the, the the faceless entities when you're representing them in a lot of times, but it also affords me the opportunity to really give back and be involved in things like the legislature. Uh, I've had a really good pro bono practice uh, since coming out of law school. Uh, I've done a lot of landlord tenant pro bono work. Mm-hmm. And when I started at Campbell, uh, I got involved with the domestic violence advocacy project at the law school. It's pro bono clinic. Uh, and I've carried on that work. And you know, pre-COVID, I was usually doing about one uh, domestic violence case a month, helping uh, victims of domestic violence get protective orders and things like that with uh, various groups in Charlotte. So uh, it's something I like to give back on and really um, help out with, you know, folks in our area that really need that help and they don't always have the money for an attorney. We were in committee one day and a problematic domestic violence bill had come up and we really saw you in action for the first time. You spoke so passionately about it and you joined with and led a coalition of Democrats and Republican legislators in that committee to to delay the bill. What got you involved in wanting to address domestic violence as pro bono work? And then you've really become one of the experts in the General Assembly about this issue. I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means, but it's something that I do enjoy working on and trying to help help folks out with. Um, and I think it's neat there. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the things I never realized, you know, I, I participated in this clinic when I was in law school, and I never really fully understood the scope of uh, what so many victims are going through uh, across our state on a daily basis and just the sheer number of people who are having to get these protective orders. And one of the things I always like to think about when you're uh, representing any client, but particularly a client who's doing through domestic violence is on top of your daily life, you know, whether you've got kids, you've got a job, you've got so many different things, you've also got this huge cloud over you when you're dealing with domestic violence. So I really think that it's really important that you have advocates out there who are able to step in there and say, you know, when I talk to my clients, first thing I say is all that weight, when you walk into the courtroom, don't have that weight anymore. Put it on me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly important because you've already have so many things going on. And that's, you know, that's on 
everybody in life, right? We have no idea what anybody is going through on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But to be able to have going through one of the most traumatic experiences uh, for the most for the average person, when you walk into a courtroom, it's usually not for something good, right? It's yeah. usually for a very stressful experience. And when it's domestic violence, it's even more heightened because a lot of times uh, your uh, the the person who has committed these acts against you is in that courtroom with you. So to be able to have an advocate who's in there, and then to be able to come through in the general assembly and be able to really think nuanced and think carefully about these laws we're passing. Uh, as you all are very familiar with, there's so many people who have such a breadth of knowledge on so many different issues. You grew up in Fayetteville, and we understand that you're the son of two public school teachers. Can you tell us about your path in life, how you went from Fayetteville to Campbell to Charlotte? What got you here? So I did grow up in Fayetteville, all American city, Uh, spent (laughs) the first 18 years of my life there. And uh, yeah, my parents and, um, you know, my family that's in Fayetteville and that community really helped inspire kind of the path that I'm on now, you know. We were one of the few families that were uh, not military in Fayetteville. It's a very heavily military city with Fort Bragg being there. So I always had friends who were in military, and I kind of understood kind of that importance of service there from that because you've got friends who were there for two years, and then that next summer they're going to Missouri, and, you know, you, you, you don't see them or talk to them that often anymore. Um, and But being around their families and being around just Fayetteville uh, really kind of inspired that kind of service mentality in me. But um, thinking about my parents as well, you know, when I was born, uh, my parents were both working at a high school. Uh, my dad was a baseball coach and a teacher. My mom was a uh, teacher and a cheerleading coach. And they met at that high school that mm. I eventually went to. I graduated from that same high school, E.E. E. Smith. Right. Um, and really seeing how much they gave back to their students, gave back to their schools. Uh, and not only that, but seeing how they advanced. You know, my they started out when I was born as teachers, but my dad went back to school, got his master's, got his doctorate in education, became a principal. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom went back to school as well, and she became a principal as well eventually. Um, and just seeing how much they were able to do, because a lot of times you can get so singularly focused. You're saying, you know, I want to advance. You know, I want to be a principal. That's a goal that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but throughout that process of raising uh, a son, who I think they did a pretty good job on. Um, <laughs> Mediocre. <laughs> 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 Depending on who you ask and on what day, it's debatable. <laughs> but uh, seeing, you know, they're raising the families, doing doing all those things, going to school, um, still doing their jobs. But on top of that, they were still giving back to their students. Mm-hmm. And we all know that um, you know, the education system was different 20, 30 years ago when they were uh, still involved in it. But uh, it's always been difficult for educators, teachers, principals. And they gave, you know, the two things that are very precious, time and money, back to their classrooms, back to their students. So really seeing that really kind of inspired me. And that's one of the things they always taught me is that, you know, when you've been blessed with a lot, when you have a lot, you need to make sure that you give back. Um, And that really has inspired me. Um, Same thing. My grandfather had a barbershop in downtown Fayetteville. um, And it was really a community gathering space, like a lot of barbershops typically are. And he had from the early 90s, he had a room upstairs that he rented out to a local uh, AIDS group for a dollar a year for them to do community meetings, uh, have clinics and things like that there. So uh, it's really something we weren't the most, you know, politically active family. We weren't always, they always voted. I remember going to the polls with my parents as a kid, but it wasn't, nobody was running for office or being very involved, but it was always a very much community focus uh, that kind of led me to where I'm at now. What's it like being the son of teachers? Uh, it was always it was always fun at uh, school. My when I was in sixth grade, my dad was my principal for one year. Oh wow! And that was definitely a, a 
interesting experience, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's always been good. You know, uh, education has always been very important to me, and it's always been, you know, having a uh, having that that kind of background there, and then having my parents be able to go in and they know all the teachers in the school. So, uh, not a whole lot going on there uh, with that I could get away with at okay. any of the schools I went to, and. Okay. I always was nervous if I ever got that phone call from somebody at school because it would always be that much heightened than uh, than some of my friends. They got in trouble, but uh, it was it was an interesting experience. So we learned from talking to Representative Farkas that y'all went to UNCC together yeah. and participated in student government. Is that how you launched your political career? Well, I, I first I've got to say that uh, I, I Representative Farkas is a nice guy, and I've heard him tell a lot of folks in the building that we were good friends in college and we knew each other. Don't for the life of me remember that guy growing up. Don't don't remember him at all. Um, <laughs> no, I, Brian and I were great friends in college, and um, we've been friends after we graduated. And we participated in North Carolina Student Legislature with a lot of folks. Some folks are still working the building. Uh, got to meet a lot of them and travel around. And it did. You know, I was I was always a little bit involved with politics, but being involved at NCSL uh, really kind of advanced that. And I did some internships. I uh, had the opportunity to intern with uh, Congressman Mel Watt when I was in college. Uh, uh, and some other folks, and it kind of really kind of sparked that uh, kind of a little more heightened interest in politics and getting involved that way. When you guys are hanging out at UNC Charlotte, ever come up in those early conversations that one day we'll be in the General Assembly together? I don't think it ever came we'd be in the General Assembly together. But we always, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually had it planned out, circled the date that it was going to be 2021, but no, it was, uh, it was always something we always kind of talked about seeing. We we have our final session every year would be at the uh, legislative building. Yeah. So we would come up here and we would be able to sit in the chairs and do our thing uh, up here in Raleigh. And it was always cool to kind of see that and be in this experience. And we all were really involved in thinking about politics and really plugged into it. Um, but I don't think we ever kind of sat there and said, you know, it'd be, be great if we were sitting on the back bench together one year. Um, <laughs> So you're a freshman, and you have your law practice, you do your pro bono work, you also have a family back home. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, so I'm married. I have a wife, Ari, who is a uh, pediatric mental health therapist. She yeah. works with children um, who are going through, you know, obviously traumatic situations and helping them with therapy and things like that, uh, working with the practices out of Asheville in their Charlotte office. Uh, and, um, you know, we are, you know, it's been a very different experience um, being away. We kind of got into a groove now. Uh, where right when we got into a groove, now our schedule is changing up, being mm -hmm. only away for one day a week. But uh, it's been good. You know, she's been very supportive. Uh, I would not be able to do this without her. And so she's at home handling her business and uh, taking care of our puppy, Pharaoh. And yeah. uh, I'll be seeing her shortly. How do you balance this time that we're spending here in Raleigh? Here we are in late September, going into late September. Uh, we had we don't have a budget yet. The schedule's somewhat unpredictable. You have a commute back to Charlotte. I mean, it takes a while to get here. How do you, how are you balancing your professional life, your your family life, with doing this work? Yeah, you know, it's it really comes down. And I know it probably sounds cliche, but it really is time management and trying to get it in where you can fit it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are times where I'm up you know, late at night answering constituent emails. There's times late at night where I'm up working on legal briefs, things I have to do. Um, so 
I wish I said I had a perfect schedule or a perfect way where I could figure out this is exactly how I'm going to handle this week. Um, but I haven't figured that out yet. And I don't think there is a perfect way to handle it. You know, um, one of the things that's really important is being intentional about my time. So one of the things that my legislative assistant Ashley and I carved out very early on was saying that, you know, you know, at the beginning of session, there's always just a rush of meetings and things like mm-hmm. that going off. People wanting to meet you, especially as a freshman. They want to know who, who's this new guy in this office. Mm-hmm. So really making sure we're carving out time we're saying this is this is purely legislative time that we're going to be doing this and especially with zoom now if i've got time carved out where i i have to work on something for my job um making sure that as much as we can we don't have that bleed over because we know that we can reschedule meetings but Mm -hmm. i don't want to miss committee so if i have to reschedule something for committee that's one thing if i reschedule for session that's one thing but i don't want to get into the habit of having to constantly reshuffle and juggle everything all the time um I don't want to do that to the advocates and, you know, lobbyists, people who come in our office. I want to be respectful of uh, you all's time and their time uh, just as much as I am with my job and everything like that. So but the big part about it is, is making sure that when I'm home and when I've got that time, uh, we're plugged in and making sure that we still have time for my wife and I to spend time together. And, yeah, I I see the hashtag no politics Sunday and (laughs) we haven't made it through a full Sunday. yet. (laughs) But, yeah, but we're trying to make sure that we that we we cover that time so it's it's not just uh, always having this be all-encompassing and being all-consuming, but making sure that we're still being responsive. Because that is a huge, it's very important to me that I, I understand that I, I represent um, a, a huge number of people. You know, it's you know, with the new census numbers coming in now, um, I want to make sure that I'm being respectful of all of them and taking time to listen to all of them and consider them. And that's why I've made it such a big point to make sure that I'm going back into the district and doing meetings and talking to folks and being available. Is there anything that surprises you about the legislature, good or bad, that you had an idea coming in, it was going to be a way, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. I don't know. Is there anything that that kind of threw you for a loop? That's probably the the top question I've been asked since I got elected is, you know, is it it what you expected? Is it, you know, do you expect it? And I think... By and large, a lot of it is because I've seen and I've talked to a lot of people who have been in the General Assembly. I've I've spent a lot, you know, uh, my my predecessor, Chaz Beasley, is a good friend of mine. And we used to talk before uh, I was considering running for the House about what he was going through when he was in this seat um, and other folks since I've been down here. Um, But I think one of the biggest things that um, I wish we could do a better job of uh, is really thinking um, through the committee process. You know, I know we talked about committee a little bit ago, but, you know, I always think about the, you know, I have uh, the, the, I'm just a bill video and like the political Mm -hmm. TV shows and things like that. And you think that, all right, well, you're going to get a bill together and you're going to write the perfect bill and then you're going to get people to sign on to that bill and then it's going to be filed and it's going to go to committee and then you're going to get in the room and committee and you're really going to hammer this out and you're going to get the perfect piece of legislation or either it's not going to make it through committee and then you get that perfect piece of legislation it's going to go to the floor and the whole board is going to light up green and you're going to go home and you're going to cheer and pat yourself on the bat and everything is going to be great and it's not necessarily like that <laughs> it's not 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 quite like that um, but I, I do wish that sometimes, you know, some committees have been in, have been great. They've mm-hmm. been fantastic where you really are working through things and you're really thinking critically because I do think that there is a diversity of voices and there should be that in there, regardless of whether, you know, we know that this session that there's been, I think maybe only one bill hasn't passed. Mm-hmm. So we understand there's a certain line that we're starting from. If this bill is going to get to the floor, it's more than likely going to pass. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to be able to work on this and say that we know this is going to get through and become more than likely law, 
how are we able to work on getting this to be even better and bring in more voices and add on to that? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I think that would be um, something I wish that we could do a little bit more about, be a little bit more intentional, really work through and think through a little bit more of what we're passing. I think I saw it in your eyes that day, the committee I referenced earlier in the conversation, you had made this impassioned argument about why we needed to fix this legislation and you were bringing in your legal expertise, you were bringing in your your life as do, your work doing pro bono work, and then the the chair says, "Well, this bill's got other stops to make. Let's just go ahead and move it out." And you're like, "No, no, <laughs> this is the place. This is the place." There have been a couple of there have been a couple of moments like that this year where I've just kind of been like, all right, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> Sometimes you just got to live the fight another day. So I I do understand that, but you know, I I do think that. I think that there's been a few times where I've been in really good committee meetings and there's been multiple times where you're when you're in that meeting, you're in the groove and you've got Republicans, you've got Democrats who are really working together and they're really listening, ears open, thinking, mm-hmm. well, you know, I didn't think about this because, you know, as an attorney, I have a perspective that others who aren't attorneys might not have the mm-hmm. same way where if I were to go into a education committee meeting, I don't have the perspective of being mm-hmm. a teacher. Um I don't have that same perspective as you would have. And I think that the more we're able to really come together and have that kind of diversity of thought, Republican and Democrat, because overall, 80% of things that we're working on up here, we all agree on, you know, 80% of things we all are going to agree, agree on. So why not add in that extra thought process and say, okay, well, this can make it that much better. Yeah. And I think that would be, I think that would benefit everybody in the state. All right. The question you've been waiting for Our politics are incredibly divided today, and they have become more increasingly divided. If you could fix one thing in our political realm right now, what would it be? I knew this question was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think one of the biggest things I think we could fix was I wish we would pay a little bit more attention to the nuance. And I've kind of hit on that a few Mm -hmm. times throughout this. And I really think that we would really benefit across the board as a state uh, and as a body if we really were to think about, all right, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I want to accomplish. These are the goals of the people in my district. This is what they care about. This is what you know my party cares about. But at the end of the day, when we have this bill in front of us, how can we listen and read in between those margins and figure out a way where we can really kind of figure out this is we've got the overarching picture. We all have the things that we've, we've you know, number one marching orders from the people in our district that we represent. But how can we really craft legislation better and really think, really think nuanced about what we're doing? Well, Representative Terry Brown, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great to be here with you guys. So we had originally, I think we know in our interview with Representative Brown that we'd originally worked with him a little bit on that domestic violence bill, and we were really impressed by him in committee. Legislators come and go, right? They come and go. When freshmen come in, I'm pleasantly surprised at just the talent that comes from communities across North Carolina. It's great to meet new legislators like Representative Brown, appreciate all the hard work he does, and look forward to seeing what his leadership in the General Assembly will bring. During the one house session of the week yesterday where all of the announcements were made, we heard an announcement about Representative Insko. Yeah, Representative Verla Insko, a liberal giant in the General Assembly representing Chapel Hill, 
announced yesterday that she was not running for re-election in 2022. She was stepping down. She wanted to spend more time with her husband, Chet. And she also made an announcement yesterday. I had never heard this. By the way, she's been in the General Assembly, I believe, 24 years, that she was once a Republican and that she had switched parties and had become a Democrat and kind of gave that standard line that folks give when they talk about why they left a political party. She said the Republican Party had left her, so she became a Democrat. I have known Representative Insko for years and had knew her when Democrats were in power at the General Assembly. She was the go-to person on mental health issues, health and human services, children's issues. I worked with her a lot in my role at the Covenant with North Carolina's Children. I thought she gave a great little parting speech. We will hear a more formal speech at the end of 2022. It is tradition to allow members who have announced that they can give a parting speech. But yesterday, it was good to see the General Assembly recognize her and her contributions. She is a part of the faithful opposition right now, and she does it in a way where she sticks to her values. She she never makes it personal. And I think a lot of legislators, most if not all legislators, really do respect her, and we wish her well. She is the second announcement we heard this year of a retirement. Yeah, the first announcement was Representative Pittman, I believe. Larry Pittman from Cabarrus County. Yeah. Uh, Republican. He is stepping down. I imagine over the next few weeks, we're probably going to hear some more announcements. A lot of this has to do with the fact that we have primaries coming up in the new year, and so they want to kind of set the stage, allow people to start planning for their campaign. But the other thing, Sky, and I've seen this a lot, we are in September going into October. Your summer is gone, and I think a lot of legislators really do reevaluate their priorities and whether this is how they want to spend their life. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. How'd I do? Was that good? <laughs> I mean, I don't think that it was the same, but it was... What do you do? You, you do well, your... the second part that you did it, okay. you like drug it out longer, but I think it's supposed to be faster on the second part. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't have the sheet music in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, not everyone can be me <laughs> yeah well i tried you've been trying brother <laughs> <laughs> there you go what is your tweet of the week this week okay so i was searching twitter this morning and i had seen this tweet last night and it made me laugh and it isn't it isn't super political but i think it's funny it's will doran from the nno he's at will underscore doran and he was at the redistricting hearing in Durham and just kind of commenting on what people were saying and things that were going on around him. And so this tweet says, and because we're here in the heart of the research triangle, I just heard the guy sitting behind me tell his friend he will find out on October 8th if he's going to win a Nobel Prize. And I have no idea if he's joking or not. <laughs> uh, so this week, it's a lot of redistricting meetings. Some of our friends who are on staff, they've been going to Elizabeth City and they were in Caldwell County last week. What's the purpose of these these meetings? I think there is a public meeting in every congressional district. Okay. 
in order to hear public comments about the process of redistricting, what people want to see happen. And once they have finished the public hearings, that's when they'll begin drawing maps. Sounds like they've been fun. I I saw some tweets this morning from Brent Woodcock, some of the comments that were made last night. Hey, we need a website for redistricting. So he put up the website that's been uh, online for 10 years. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm I'm sure whenever you invite the public to comment, you're going to get interesting comments. We do have a big announcement. Big announcement. What is it? Today, we will receive our first shipment of koozies, Do Politics Better koozies. Wow. We heard your request for merch. Yeah, it's here. So, you know, you're sitting around, you're talking politics with some friends, you want to keep that beer cold, but you also need that reminder. You need to do politics better. So you'll have this koozie to remind you. Yeah, we had two shipments of koozies. So we have a red koozie and a blue koozie. Wow. One is like a slim can koozie and the other is for a regular sized can. We have looked into socks and we're in the process of getting socks. Yeah, looking at you, Carlton Huffman. He (laughs) is a avid listener of the podcast, reached out to us. We're trying to work with his family-owned company in Caldwell County to get some Do Politics Better socks. So in addition to having your beer stay cold, you can keep those feet warm and do politics better. We'll have those when they come in. We'll put them on our Twitter page. And we're hoping to talk to some folks about getting an online store up and open very soon. But if you'd like to buy one from us, you can just let us know and we'll get it to you. Well, you can Venmo Sky. I don't really know how to work Venmo. Oh my gosh. Brian has had like a Venmo or a Cash App. Which one have you had? I think it's Venmo. And anytime someone says they want a Venmo, Brian, he says, well, I have $125 in my Venmo account. And if you can figure out how to get it out, you can have it. (laughs) It's like, I know how to get it out. Can I have it? (laughs) I just look at it sometimes. I can see it in there. I just don't know how it got in there. And I don't know how to get it out. It's fairly mind-blowing that this man edits the podcast. He can do a video he can do many things on a computer. Can't work Google. Google Docs. Yeah. I don't understand Google Docs. He doesn't know how to work Zoom. No. And don't really want to learn how. I'm starting to can hate Zoom. Barely work Instagram. Yeah. Instagram's a mystery to me. I don't know what. When you put Stay something. Stay on Facebook, you old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Facebook makes perfect sense. And Twitter makes perfect sense. Wow. Yeah. Evolving is not your thing. No, not. But uh, I am looking forward to the koozies and the socks, and I'm looking forward to seeing them all over desk at the General Assembly. Yes, we have plenty. Buy one for your mom. Yeah, make great gifts this holiday season. Yeah, give them for everybody at Thanksgiving, because I think, isn't Thanksgiving where people start to get in political fights? Yeah. Take your koozies, drink that beer at the Thanksgiving table, and tell everyone to do politics better. That is our show for this week. Maybe next week things start to move on the budget talks even more. We're getting closer and closer, I feel. Take the time to rate this podcast, write a review if you have a minute, and share with your family and friends on whatever platform you're listening to this on. We hope that you have a great 
weekend this weekend, a great week next week. And remember to do politics better. You just kicked me. Oh, I'm sorry. You just come in here with your squeaky ass shoes and you're kicking me. Hey, can you? Can't show up on time. Oh, we're, we're about to fight. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>